Good morning. Welcome back. Do you think this is everybody? You think? Okay. All right. Good. Good to see everybody. Hope you had a nice holiday break and rested up. Maybe. Maybe more tired now than you were before. I don't know. Um, All right. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you as needy people who um, are in need of sight, Lord. And Lord, we ask that this morning that you would use the truth of your word to give us that sight and Lord, to allow us to be true worshipers of Jesus. God, I pray that you will speak through me and that my words would be truth. And um, we thank you for this body of believers at Grace of Anne. Thank you for these Christian sisters that you allow us to be with and be encouraged by and that you, you use us to encourage, Lord. Thank you for using, giving us the privilege of being used. Um, I ask that you would use me this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so how many resolutions have you broken? <laughs> like, you know, now everyone's like, oh, I don't make resolutions. Christians are like, oh, we don't do that anymore. Um, I actually made one and I've broken it already, but I never make them because I'm one of those, oh, I don't make resolutions. But, you know, I hope that at some point, even if it wasn't January 1st, that you have resolved, because resolutions are not unbiblical, okay? The word resolution and resolve is in the Bible. Um, but I hope that at some point that you have resolved, maybe it was in August when we, or September when we started, but to read a portion of scripture every day, to get a little bit of God's word into your soul every day. Um, and we all have those weeks where we save all five days until, you know, Monday, and then we do all of our Bible study, but like we all have those weeks, but try to get some portion of God's word into yourself every day. Um, Read a chapter a day, read part of a chapter. You know, it may take you five years to get through the Bible. I usually do it in like two and a half to three. I'm, I'm not super quick with it. I like to take smaller portions and read a little bit deeper. Um, But the important thing is you're reading something every day. So we left off um, chapter eight with controversy being stirred up again. We had the Pharisees who were going to stone Jesus because he had made this statement in chapter eight about before Abraham was, I am. Do you remember that? And if you enjoyed that, then you were not disappointed in chapter nine with more controversy because it's definitely there. We're going to see this tension continue to build until we get to chapter 12 with the triumphal entry, and that's where Jesus's hour has come. Okay, so that's going to all continue to mount. Um, I kind of look at this chapter in two sections. You have verses one through seven, which we'll just call the miracle, and then you have verses eight to 41. So you've got these other 34 verses with five different conversations within that. Um, John does this a lot, or I guess it's really Jesus doing this. You have the miracle, which might be this much, and then you have the controversy and the spiritual application that's all this much, right? The physical and then the spiritual. 
So we'll take the first seven verses verse by verse, and then I'll take these conversations kind of in chunks. So starting in verse one of chapter nine, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We can stop right here and make a couple of applications. First of all, this man has a physical disability and Jesus moves toward him. I think that is huge for us. Our tendency and our natural fleshly for most of us is to turn and go the other way, to overlook that person, to be the Levite on the street that looks the other way, right, on the road. Um, May we be people who, when we see those with medical, physical disabilities, that we move toward them as Jesus does right here. The other thing that's, I think, a spiritual application is that Jesus saw this man when this man could not see him. Did you pick up on that? Just in the first phrase there. Jesus saw him, and isn't that our story? When we couldn't see him, he saw us and moved toward us. Remember in John 3, the conversation with Nicodemus? Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Um, Verse 2, the disciples have a very natural question. They ask him, what's going on? Why, Why is it this way? What's the cause of this? And isn't that what we do too? Whether it's us or someone close to us, we want to know what's the cause? Why is this happening? So we can fix it and it won't happen again. We say why and how long, right? That's what we do. All right, verse three. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I think Jesus's answer is totally unexpected by the disciples And it's really not what we expect either. Um, He basically says it's neither one. The cause is not the point of all this. The purpose is what Jesus wants to bring to light. Not the cause, but the purpose. Um, The disciples want to place blame, which is what we do. Um, If you remember back in chapter 5, we had the paralytic man There was some sort of relationship in John 5 of a personal sin, perhaps, to that man's disability. We talked about that. That is not the case at all right here. In Scripture, sometimes there is a link between a personal sin and suffering, but not always. And we always want to jump to that conclusion. That's our natural conclusion that we want to jump to. That's not the case. And Jesus says that's often not the case here. Um, This man's years of blindness, Jesus says, are far outweighed by God's glory. And he's bringing that purpose to light here. Um, I'm going to just pause here for a minute. This this has huge um, spiritual implications. This is a huge doctrinal type of issue. God's sovereignty and our suffering. I don't know if you pondered much on his response this week. Um, But if someone, whether it's you or someone close to you has a physical or a medical issue, you've prayed maybe even for years for healing and it's not happening. Um, That's, I have that situation in my life, a personal, someone close to me who has a medical issue 
No one can figure out what's going on. For literally for years, we have prayed. And when I sat down to write this lesson, I was not in a good place that day when I started. And I shut it. And then I came back to it later. And the Lord graciously, even though I knew this, I, I know this passage very well. And I'll get to that later. But I knew this passage before I opened John chapter nine. I knew what it was. And when I came back to it, God graciously just reminded me of the things that he's shown me that there is a purpose in suffering. And sometimes, and all the time, the purpose of that is that he might display his works, his glory in that situation. Um, I was just talking to someone earlier. Sometimes those situations are like Paul in... Um, what is it? First Corinthians chapter 12. It's the thorn in the flesh that he prayed for that was never removed as far as we know. And what did God say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. So if you're in that place today, God's grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in what? Our weakness. And sometimes, and, and actually in scripture, most often healing is the exception. Most often it doesn't happen. Um, we could talk about go a lot more in depth with that, but we won't. Um, So verse four, back to the text, our lifetime is the day, right? So we've got to work now while it's day, do what good we can while it's day, because night is coming. Our, not to be too morbid, but our looming death will come and then we cannot work. So we are to work and do good while we can right now. Um, Verse five, did you hear echoes back to chapter one there? He's the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Look back at lesson one. We'll kind of, we're gonna kind of skim through that right there, but hopefully you filled that in on your I am chart this week. Um, verses six and seven. Having said all these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. <clears throat> So you read that and you think, why doesn't Jesus just instantly heal him, right? Why go to all the trouble, the mud and the washing and all that? Um, well, we're gonna see in a minute that this was the Sabbath. Um, there's lots of possibilities about why he does that. I think one in particular relates to the fact that this was the Sabbath. The word for mud here is the same word for clay and dough. So if you're kneading dough, what does that make you think? That's probably not allowed on the Sabbath, most likely, and it wasn't. Um, We see Jesus purposely, again, doing things on the Sabbath that are not allowed. Why does he do this? Have you noticed? It happens over and over and over. So what he's doing with the making the mud and the washing is going to kind of prepare us for this narrative that follows with these five conversations. Um, why are these things written, John twenty thirty one, that we might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name? So if you ever go, why is this written? That's, that's the ultimate reason why it's written, right? That's what John told us. However, um, as we work through these conversations and the idea of the Sabbath, you're gonna see these guys are either gonna fall into the category of true worshipers or blasphemers. And so we're gonna have a division that occurs because of this whole mud and controversy that comes up. All right, so the man is to go wash in the pool of of Siloam. We've got another parenthetical statement that John brings up 
Don't, don't glaze over those. Look at the parentheses. Um, this word Siloam means sent. Just like in John chapter five, where you had the imagery of the sheep gate. If you remember, Jesus was sitting at the sheep gate. Again, we have, I'm sorry, this thing is not, <laughs> Sue's like, yes, I know. Let me try to clip it somewhere else. I know, I keep trying to squeeze it on there. All right, so the imagery of the sent one, the Messiah, bringing spiritual healing. But what does he use? He uses the physical scent, the pool, right? To bring physical healing. Do y'all see that imagery? The sent one, Jesus is the sent one, the Messiah, the anointed one. And he's gonna bring this spiritual healing. And that's what John's bringing out. He sends him to the physical scent to receive the physical healing. All right, Um, that ends the miracle. And we're gonna look at this first conversation here starting in verse eight. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said, <clears throat> so they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So we've got this man and his neighbors. Um, The man doesn't even know who did it. And you think for a second, why doesn't he know? And we look back up to verses one through seven because he never actually physically saw Jesus. When he went and washed and came back, Jesus apparently was no longer in that immediate vicinity. Doesn't that make you think of John five? Remember Jesus kind of disappears for a little while, okay? Same kind of thing going on. The spiritual application. When we're converted, do our neighbors know us physically? Sure they do. I know you. But is there something different going on where eventually they're thinking, it's the same physically, but something's different about this person. And also, do we see the hand that does the miracle in us? No. The Spirit of God, what does John 3 say? The Spirit of God is like the wind, right? Goes wherever it pleases. So that's the application here from that conversation is this is what happens to us spiritually. People know us, but they don't really know us. There's something different. And we don't see that physical hand that works the miracle. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. So the Pharisees come into the picture now and are gonna converse with the man. Controversy erupts because it is the Sabbath. Um, Jesus is purposely going to bring offense to the Jews. He's not gonna get rid of this idea of letting rules and regulations go. He's not gonna let go of that. Um, The Jews, they seem to ask similar questions to what the neighbors asked. The man answers them simply and with factual type of answers. Um, 
they just cannot seem to understand how this man, Jesus, who if he's kneading clay on the Sabbath, he's obviously a sinner, right? How can this sinner perform a miracle like this? How can this be? Do you see, just like in John 5, John, Jesus, is exposing their hearts again. What do they completely overlook? The miracle. They care nothing about the man and this miracle that has occurred. All they care about is keeping the rules of the Sabbath. Nothing has happened in these guys' hearts from four chapters ago. But look in just a few short verses, what has happened in the beggar man's heart? In the conversation with the neighbors, he calls Jesus a man. What does he call him in verse 17? A prophet. Do you see there's a progression beginning to happen in this beggar man's heart, but the elite, the religious elite, what's happened in their heart? Nothing. There's a division. And are you beginning to see that division that's happening here? All right, verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? The parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Parentheses. They said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. All right, um, the Pharisees confront the parents and similar questions. They answer all the questions, except they say that they don't know how this, how this occurred. Um, John tells us they say this because they're fearful. And we could go down the road of like getting onto the parents and how that's so bad and that kind of thing. But what if we highlight instead the courage of the beggar, of the blind man who now sees? If his confession leads to excommunication, doesn't that highlight to you the the courage that he has to actually confess to these guys what happened? I mean, think about his state. He's been a beggar his entire life. What is this going to do to his well-being if he's excommunicated from the synagogue? Isn't that the center, the hub of everything? This is going to affect every area of his life with this one confession. All right, verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. And we could stop there and be done and praise God, right? But there's more. (laughs) They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? It's like the drive the night. Like, I love that. Don't you just love that? It's like, in, uh, have you seen the movie Unbroken, you know, where he lifts up the thing? You know, it's just like, Argh. okay, sorry. Um, 28, and they reviled him. So obviously he did mean something a little bit harsh there with that saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. And you think, okay, we've already had this discussion back in John chapter five. Nothing's happening here, right? Their hearts are the same. 
29. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. So the Pharisees speak to the man, and you just love this exchange right here. Um, The power of a personal testimony can shut down any argument. And you see an example of that right here. Um, On Wednesday nights, Dr. Young has been teaching, and it's just had one week, but the next four weeks, he's teaching on assurance of salvation. And I had you write out a little testimony this week. Just that simple outline of, I was blind, now I see. Um, But I've just been reminded over the past few days since he taught that Wednesday, in my mid to late 20s, I struggled for years with assurance of my salvation. So I know what that's like, like obsessive about that. Um, I grew up in the church and, you know, like my husband has this very clear, he was 24. It was clear night and day, right? Between saved, not saved. I grew up in the church. And for me, I believe God got a hold of me as a young child. And in my 20s, I was at a church that said, you've got to have a date and time or it wasn't real. So I'm 24 going, I can't remember when I was eight. What did I say? Did I mean it? Was I sincere enough? Did I say the right words? Like all that kind of stuff for years because I stayed at that same church. Um, I should have probably left. And I also mentioned in my first lesson in September that the book of John was my favorite, at least New Testament, maybe favorite book of all in the Bible. Because the book of John is what brought me out of that, the book of John is what gave me assurance of my salvation. Um, Let's flip to John chapter 1 for just a minute. Since we're talking about testimonies here. I began to see that the date and time was not important. What was important is that I could see or I could say that I once was blind and now I see. I could look at the book of John and I could go, this story of Christ's work on the cross is wonderful. It is a beautiful, marvelous thing. That's what's important. And look at John chapter one, look at verse 12. I won't sing it, but we're gonna read 12 and 13. (laughs) I feel like I'm singing it. but. But to all who did receive him... Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that is fabulous news. But let's look at verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. That means like me saying certain words and that type of thing. Emotion. Nor of the will of man. I didn't make that happen but of God. If you see this story as a marvelous, wonderful thing, it is because God has done, God has done a work in your heart 
Bottom line, if you see this as crazy foolishness, then God hasn't done a work. But if you see the work of the cross as a wonderful thing, God did it. Otherwise, this would be madness to you. That sound like a preacher? <laughs> I love that verse. Not of the will of the flesh or the will of man. You didn't will that to happen, to see this as a beautiful thing. God had to do that. Chapter 6 of John, if God did it, it is a done deal. That's why I love chapter 6. I told her, I was like, I'm going to teach chapter 6. If God did it, those Pharisees, you know, they're, they're in the synagogue and Jesus is talking about eating flesh and drinking blood in the synagogue. And he says, I'm the bread from heaven. And they're grumbling. And he says, guys, he actually says, why are you grumbling? But my words are, don't sweat this. You can come to me. That's my paraphrase of what he says in John 36, 37. Why are you grumbling? Only the ones the father gives me can come to me. And then a little bit later, he says, and the ones the father give me, they will come. End of story. If you see it as beautiful, God did it. And if God did it, it's done. And then I was like, And then you can worship and and be free and rest in your salvation, God's salvation that he's done for you. Back to the text, John chapter nine. Again, we see the truth of what's happening in this man. We're starting to see who's really blind and who's really, who can really see here. He says, do you want to become his disciples? Okay. So he's, he's a disciple now. Do you want to become a disciple also? Um, he exposes more of their deception. We talked about how they say we're disciples of Moses, right? Jesus has already had that conversation in John five forty five, where he says, no, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. So we've already taken care of that. We see nothing has happened in the hearts of these Pharisees. Um, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. So finally, Jesus has a conversation with man, just like in John 5. He's not going to leave this guy to, um, he's going to come back and deal with the spiritual issues. Okay. So he reappears. Notice that Jesus initiates this conversation with the man. Um, he reveals to the man who he is. That's a, the son of man. That's a reference back to the book of Daniel, um, an old Testament reference where this guy would have been familiar with that. Um, if your translation uses the word fell down in verse 38, that's okay, but it actually means worship. It's actually the Greek word for worship. So this passage started as a simple, I guess we call it simple, as a physical healing. I think the physical is more simple than the spiritual. The physical healing, but then now we see that there was also a spiritual healing that has taken place. This man is spiritually healed in verse 38, and it says he um, believes. Then we get to 39 to 41, and I just thought these are the 
hardest verses of the whole thing. And the reason is because you have these different definitions of see and blind, right? We don't know, are we talking physical or spiritual? So you kind of have to pay close attention to the words. Verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. So John's gospel appears simple. And then there's all these complex type of things going on. If you really read into it, turn to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Jesus said that he came, that he might give sight to the spiritually blind. That's what he says in verse um, 39. And that those who see or thought they saw might be made blind. So that was the second part of that. Let's see what's happening. Um, Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord." Do you see a picture of the Pharisees and the beggar man in those verses? Um, Those who have a high view of themselves will see this as craziness. Um, Look in verse 41. Jesus' words in verse 41 where he says, the Pharisees were saying, we see. They're kind of like, we got this. Okay, Jesus, we understand this. We know what's going on here. We have total and full understanding of it. They had a high view of themselves, a prideful way of thinking about these things. But what's interesting, this is the complex part. You have all this about God's sovereignty and suffering and those kind of things going on in the first part. And then right in this last verse, he says, but now that you say we see... Your guilt remains. These men were still accountable to God. They were still accountable. And if you have time later, look in the first chapter of Romans. Paul talks about how all men suppress the truth about God so that they are without excuse. So every man on the face of the earth has some knowledge of God for which they are accountable but they suppress it. And so they're without excuse. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying. But now that you say, we see, we got this, we know what's going on. Your guilt remains. 
So they're the ones that turn their back on God. Instead of thinking when we come to God that we have something to bring to the table, may we be those who know that we have nothing to bring but our sin. That we are the ones in need of sight, that we are the blind ones, and that God might do that work in us to give us sight, that we might be true worshipers of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again. And as I have said these words again today, Lord, I just thank you for what you've done in my heart. Thank you for the assurance that you've given me. Thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that each of us would walk away from here assured that we are saved or assured that we're not one way or the other, Lord, seeing who we are. Are we a true worshiper or are we one that has turned our back on Jesus? Lord, show us. And then would you open our eyes to see the truth, to see the beauty of the cross, Lord? We ask this in Jesus' name.